Two, one. Racing World is presented by Race Control Magazine. Let's open up the garage door and welcome everybody into the Racing World podcast. Hi, I'm Darcy Waldergrave. Hello, everybody out there in YouTube land, along with David Turner, immaculately attired as I'd expect, and the grand old man of this podcast, oh, no, <laughs> <down>. <laughs> Mr. Bob McMurray. You're in the middle. You've got the seat not, of power. Not so much of the grand. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Okay. okay, this old guy as well. Uh, thanks very much for joining us as uh, we look into the wonderful wide world of motorsport. We've got a very special guest on the program today, uh, someone I was uh, introduced to by Bob McMurray. It seems like decades ago now, though it wasn't that long, uh, he's an absolute superstar of the Formula One world as written I don't know how many books guys about it over 70 over 70 a latest few, one being latest one being the biography of Nicky Lauda which I can really recommend honestly. it's possibly it's more fantastic. books than you've read David <laughs> <laughs> do they have pictures <laughs> dare I suggest it so Morris Hamilton will be joining us on the program as we look back at well essentially uh, just over a week of madcap action uh, at Silverstone because of course we had the, the double header and uh, that finished off uh, over the weekend with quite the turn up for the books as far as the result is concerned yep yeah it's well we'll we'll talk about it later but um I, I think the overriding thing is that Max won and Mercedes didn't simple as that <laughs> and that goes the end of racing world show number eight <laughs> have a wonderful afternoon it really was and there was some uh wonderment formula two and formula three as well really enjoyed the formula three racing over the weekend i'm sure yep. we can talk to morris about that as well those guys get into it don't they oh, they Just do so much talent so much raw talent and global talent that's what yeah. gets me about and of course new zealand right in the thick of it with uh, liam lawson having the time of his life uh, marcus <laughs> armstrong not having so much fun but that's motorsport no, well, for you there you go Mm. And uh, talking about New Zealanders having fun, we'll touch on it later on in the piece. We've also got uh, the supercars, finally, if indeed they do actually get to Darwin. <laughs> Still unsure at this stage, really. I think the trucks are due to drive, drive through and they, they can space everybody out in the street uh, to cheer for them with Shane Van Gisbergen and hitting supercar race number 400 yeah, it's amazing, isn't over it? the weekend. It's amazing, 400. really quite extraordinary. Yeah. But let's kick things off uh, with a bit IndyCar news, the ever-changing sands, the shifting sands of the IndyCar world. Mr Turner, what do you have for us? Well, by the time this podcast is on air, we're one day away from the start of practice for the 104th running of the 500. That's a no-brainer. That's happening. That's not breaking. We know that's <laughs> no, going that's on. that's not breaking. Yeah. Breaking news probably, but it's slightly a couple of days old now, is the prize pool is halved. So it was a 15 million US prize pool. Roger Penske and Penske Entertainment announced in the weekend that it's now 7.5 million. Um, but I was really impressed. All the teams, Chip Ganassi came out within minutes saying fully supportive of what Roger's doing. Uh, and then this morning, uh, you know, Robin Miller said in his Daily Racer column the fact that without the 500, they'd lose some teams. So everyone's very supportive of what's going on. Most teams have budgeted around the 500, uh, so the 500 is happening. There is 33 cars. I don't think we'll see 34, which is kind of good, really. But there is 33. Uh, I think there was a little bit of help to get Dragon Speed in there, but it's happening. So, you know, it, it's all on. Practice starts literally tomorrow and, uh, you know, same... T tomorrow being, this, as we record this, yeah, it would yeah. have happened. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but it's mainly a rookie orientation day and then, and then we're into it. Um, very hot over there at the moment in Indianapolis in the 30 degree mark, so it's quite hot. <laughs> Strangely enough, though, the 10-day forecast, 14-day forecast is not that flash, but, you know, it changes pretty quickly there, so... We'll see, but it, it, it's definitely happening. And mid-Ohio uh, will happen somewhere. Um, and 
later in the show we hear from um, Kiwi Paul Ziggy Harkis and he'll tell us a little bit more about that as well. So there's, there's plenty going on. And what's happening crowd-wise around None. Indianapolis? <laughs> yeah, I was speaking with uh, Scott Dixon uh, a few days ago now around that situation. He said how odd it is when you're driving really, you're not too engaged with the crowd. He says, but Indy, you really are. It's really hard to actually get your head in that space, even when it comes to finding marks in the crowd when you're driving around with, with the crowd cheering. And, and when it comes to being just at the track itself, there'd be something missing and something quite bizarre that he can't quite yeah. put his finger on around that particular race. But they're, they're pretty keen to get up and going. I also spoke to him around the fact that they've got double points. He was not overly concerned about the double points. He said, he said look, the series has taken a bit of a haircut. It's lost a few races, might lose a couple more. Uh, but in the wider scheme of things, we understand how important IndyCar is. And uh said, Scott, you, you might lose your entire lead just like that. And he goes, well, you know, I've just got to be better, don't I? It's just the way it is. We understand it's, what it is. They didn't drop it on us out of nowhere. This is what it is. We're going to run with it. So not at all concerned about that. It's prospect. amazing you say, well, he says that he's got marks in the crowd. Think of the Indy 500 circuit. You're going down the straight and they're just a blur on the right-hand side. And when you come to the corners, you're looking left. For you to pick somebody out in the crowd, you've got to look right. <laughs> I'm buggered if I would look right doing 180 mile an hour going left. It's just well, something sorry. about the, not an individual Maybe character, that's but why it's, the, it's the background. It's how it looks, and you're so used to having a crowd thick there when you drive in various Maybe points. Maybe that's why Scott's hurt. a champion, and I'm and you're not, yes. nowhere near it. But you are <laughs> grand. <laughs> Interestingly enough, um, in both the guests that we have in the second part of our show today, um, Ziggy talks more about some of those scenarios and the double points. And Connor Daly, who I was lucky enough to chat with, uh, we talked specifically about crowds. So, you know, if you're watching, keep watching because uh, Connor talks, he, he sums it up the best I think we ever could. It's far better than the three of us. And it's it's all positive. It's all about we're going racing. So I yep. think that's the key thing with us. This is the uh, Racing World podcast with uh, David Bob. And Darcy, and up next, Morris Hamilton joins the program. Very much looking forward to catching up with your old friend and a relatively new one for myself. Should be some fantastic listening. And it's a very warm welcome to the Racing World podcast to Morris Hamilton. Morris, fantastic to have you on board. Thanks so much for joining us here at Racing World and to celebrate what was an extraordinary week in a wee bit, or a couple of weeks, of motorsport in and around Silverstone, crowd or no crowd. What an event that was. Welcome to the program. Uh, nice to join you. Nice to see you all down under. Uh, yeah, it's been uh, pretty good up here. We've had scorching weather, absolutely phenomenal weather. And of course, that had a big effect uh, on the Grand Prix, which is kind of what we were looking for in a way. And uh, even though it was only seven days after the previous one and everybody thought, oh, same old, same old, uh, we actually had a, a fantastic race. So all told, yeah, life's good here. Very good. Morris, it was the, the two Grand Prix, we'll call them both Silverstone, I don't know what to call them really, the anniversary one is ridiculous, but anyway, um, the two Grand Prix yeah. both were controlled by temperature really, in that it controlled Mercedes' performance and um, and others obviously, but they, they really didn't get a handle on the hot weather with their tyres, did they yet? No, um, that it had a profound effect on Mercedes and... and uh, Right now, they will be looking very closely at that because, of course, they've only got a matter of days before they front up in uh, uh, Barcelona for the next Grand Prix where, I'm told, the conditions are going to be even hotter and you've got a similar sort of high-load circuit there. So they've got to get an answer to this. It, it would seem, uh, from a layman's point of view, from sort of looking at it very broadly, that because they run so much downforce, 
uh, on that Mercedes because we know that car is really effective. And also because of the problems the previous week, the tire pressures had been put up a little bit. And that combination of factors with the high stress at Silverstone, the high downforce, the higher uh, pressures, just contributed to um, the Mercedes tires going off, um, starting to blister certainly the rears. Um, and with Red Bull, it wasn't. They, they didn't have that problem at all. And neither, in fact, did Ferrari, if you, even though they are still off the pace. So it is clearly a Mercedes problem. And uh, I hate to say it, but it's nice to see them having a problem of some sort for a change. Morris, the, I mean, you, you touched on Ferrari there. They're, yes, they're off the pace, but they're not really on off the pace with one car. I mean, Leclerc, he actually did very, very well. In time terms, yeah, it was a long way behind, but in positional terms... They did very well indeed. The other Ferrari driver, I forget what his name is now because he's history. Um, no, poor old Sebastian. He is really, really digging deep and struggling, isn't he? Uh, the, the, the comparison between the two is stark, isn't it? Because Leclerc, as you say, is doing a phenomenal job. I mean, to, to get there, uh, to into fourth place at just one stop, they all thought he was going to stop twice and he didn't. He looked after those tyres brought the car home. I mean, he is phenomenal. The thing about Leclerc is, give him a sniff, and he's there. He's, so, he's rather like Max Verstappen. He's so hungry. And that Ferrari isn't really on, on, on the pace. But the fact that it, it has got a downforce problem and a power problem um, actually played into their hands a little bit under those conditions at Silverstone. And as I say, give Leclerc a sniff, and he's in there, which is terrific to watch. As for Vettel... I, I don't know what to say. Um, it's just hard to know how you could make a fundamental error like he did on that, that one by putting a wheel on the curb and giving it a bootful. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a schoolboy error. And it's not the first one we've seen from Sebastian. And the guy, you know, every time we see him interviewed, he's clearly not the guy that we've seen, you know, 10 years ago when he was about to carry all before him. Um, he's, he's not at ease with the, himself. He's not at ease with the car. Uh, he's just not a happy bunny. And, of course, he knows that um, they're saying bye-bye, Seb, at the end of the year. And there was never any question about it either. There wasn't a case of, come have a chat. It's, uh, oh, by the way, you're going. So, you know, the whole combination of stuff is not doing him any good. And now you, you can see it's just playing on his mind. And he's, I, I don't know what they're going to do for the rest of this season. I mean, they're going to have to sit down and have a chat with him, but I don't know if they've got time uh, and say, what's wrong? What can we do? I mean, he's, he's just not comfortable with this car. I think the thing about Vettel is that when he's on it, when, when he is comfortable in the car, and the Red Bull is a case in point, if you remember some of those performances in the first in 2010, 12, 11, 12, 13, phenomenal performances. And I'm thinking of one particular one that always stands out in my mind is when he put it on pole in Singapore, the Red Bull. It was a fantastic lap because he was, he was together with the car. He knew exactly what he was doing. No, he doesn't. He's just a different guy. He's a shadow of his former self. And I don't think there's an easy answer to that. It's exacerbated as well, of course, Morris, by the fact that, that Charles Leclerc is going so particularly well in exactly the same equipment. The, the relationship between those two drivers, although it probably doesn't matter because they will be split at the end of the season, is there anything that, that Charles can actually do to aid Sebastian, and would Sebastian even be open to such a junior trying to contribute to the malaise? Because that's what you feel at the moment. There is a, a disconnect between not only the driver and the car, 
but the drivers and, and the team itself, which is probably alarming for Tafosi, but not out of the ordinary. Uh, I, I can't see that happening, Darcy, because, you know, uh, Leclerc is looking after his own thing. He's, uh, he's, he's building his own name. He is Ferrari's future. And while he probably feels quietly sorry for Sebastian, he's probably happy because, of course, you know that your biggest rival is your teammate. And uh, he's, he's just hammering him. So that's, that's Sebastian out of the way. I don't think he's going to go out of his way to try and help him. I mean, why should he? Um, and as we saw in Brazil last year, you know, there's not much love lost between them when they're wheel to wheel. So I don't think Sebastian's going to get much help from Charles Leclerc, even if Sebastian would ask, and I doubt he would. Morris, looking, looking at that and then looking further ahead, obviously Leclerc ends up with a new teammate next year with, with Carlos. How do you see that relationship going? Because I've, I've sat on the sidelines, if you like, and, and watched... The, the Lando Norris Carlos relationship and it, and it looks really good. So McLaren kind of ticked that box. Will that transpire when Carlos moves to Ferrari? It's a really interesting question, David, because um, before the start of this curtailed season, uh, for me, if you'd said right, who's going to come out and top uh, Carlos Sainz or Lando Norris? I would say, well, Sainz. He's going to he's going to really hammer it because Norris last year. He didn't impress me that much. He, he was all right. It was his first season. I mean, he, he, he'd done really well in the junior formula. And I remember um, talking to one of the um, Trevor Carlin, who, who ran him in some of the junior formula. And Trevor said that he is one of the best young guys I've ever seen. And Trevor's had a few through his hands. And when he turned up, and he went particularly in GP2 or Formula 2, and then his first season, I thought, mm, I don't know. And he was quite immature in some of the ways he handled himself. And I thought, I'm not sure this guy's actually going to make the final cut. But this year, what a different story. I mean, he is on it. And he has really given it some. And I know Carlos Sainz had a lot of bad luck witnessing Sunday, the, the problem with the, 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 the hammer uh, on, the, on the wheel change. Um, the, then he's held in the pits and all things. It's just not going his way. But um, if you're then transferring it, as you say, David, forward to next year, whereas I would have thought Sainz is going to arrive there and Charles Leclerc, you better watch out. I don't think so. I think that's Charles Leclerc's team now. And uh, Carlos Sainz is going to, good as he is, I think he's going to have, it's going to be a very interesting, uh, um, not confrontation, that's the wrong word, but a very interesting partnership, shall we say, between those two at Ferrari. Yeah, I guess that's that's that thing, isn't it? The driver that's already there kind of moulds the team around them. We've seen it with Schumacher, Vettel, you know, it goes on, Nicky, everybody. If you're there first, then you've got a, a bit of bragging rights and a bit of ownership when the new boy arrives on the block. How concerned is Carlos going to be about... Yeah. Sorry, excuse me, Morris. How, how concerned is Carlos going to be, though, about what kind of vehicle he's going to turn up to? What his ride's going to look like? He'd, he'd look at Vettel and go, dearie, dearie me. And then you look at, uh, actually, hold on. You're doing particularly well on the other side of it, betwixt and between. What's he going to have? What's his equipment going to be like? Oh, I mean, a good question as well. Because uh, if I was Carlos Sainz, I'd be thinking, I'm blimey. Uh, what, have I, what am I letting myself in for? I, it's lovely to be with Ferrari and for all the reasons we know, because it's a great, every young, every driver wants to go there. But when you get the chairman, John Elkin, saying, uh, actually, we're not going to be competitive until 2022, because we're stuck with the same engine next year, you're thinking, my God, this is Ferrari. And this is the chairman saying this, which is, of course, not Ferrari at all, because they're always saying, well, fix it next week. It'll be all right. 
we'll fire somebody <laughs> along the way, whatever. But but it's been none of that, and and, and good for Elkin because he, this this is the fact. So Carlos Sainz must be thinking, my God, what am I doing? And with McLaren as well on the up, she would be. I see you smiling there, Bob. Pleased to see. <laughs> you must be thinking, God, you know, because how many times have we seen this with drivers? Part of the thing is making the right decision at the right time, isn't it? And some of them witnessed Fernando Alonso makes wrong decisions at the wrong time. But if you make the right decision at the right time, it's all part of being champion. And poor old Carlos, I think, must be wondering, hmm, is this the right move? Not sure. Meanwhile, you've got the, the, the Aussie going, hey, I'm going to McLaren. This will, this will be good. I'm going at the yeah. right time. See you around, Reno. I think um, here, yeah, here in New Zealand, Morris, I think we've got the picture boy for wrong decision, wrong time in Chris Amon. But uh, um, going, back to, yeah. go, going back to Lando Norris and um, Science, uh, well, not, not so much Science, but uh, Albon, uh, Max Verstappen, oh, even Hulkenberg, where would Formula One be without them? God, it would be a boring, bloody place, <laughs> wouldn't it? Because they have, they have breathed life into... Uh, into what was um, wasn't a corpse, but it was um, well, it was granny in the cupboard sort of thing. They breathe real life into the into the whole sport, don't they? Kids like that coming through, and Max and his his attitude. Oh, it's wonderful. Uh, I mean, I think we've really got a great future ahead of us um, with these young guys, exactly as you say, Bob. Um, uh, Max Verstappen is fantastic now, isn't he? You know, uh, he had the rough edges. We saw all that. We knew the speed was there, but the rough edges were pretty rough at times, as uh, Kimi Reichner would attest at Spa, if you remember, with the two moves under braking and stuff like that. But now he's together, and look at, look, he just, Max took ownership of that race at Silverstone uh, he, in every respect. And he was just so calm and cool in the way he told the team that famous line about, no, he told him to, they told him to look after everything. No, no. Uh, you know, I don't want to drive like a granny. I'm going to go after him because he could see Lewis's rear tires. It's funny we had two Grand Prix and and all sorts of things happened. The whole bloody world was turned upside down in the second Grand Prix. And what I see headlines around the world is Max Verstappen talking about granny driving. <laughs> the bugger bug Hamilton and all the rest of it. It's down to Max talking about his granny. Uh, it's amazing, I think. Yeah, I, I think it proves Bob that. Um, uh, you know, newspapers and and the media just like lines like that because it's uh, it's 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 so much better than the sound bites you normally get about. I want to thank the team. We've got a really good car. Everybody's done a great job. Oh, it's fantastic! And I drove really well. And I had to do this. And I had a real struggle with my tires. The guy just got out and said it and was very happy. I'm very happy. Then it's always good to see a smiling winner, isn't it? It's better than having Vettel just complain about everything that happens. Yeah. That's his soundbite. That's the go-to. I, I think too, Morris, we've seen a, a change in the landscape a little bit post-Bernie and to Liberty Media where a lot of that stuff's sort of freed itself up a little bit, you know, and, and the drivers are not, to coin a phrase, McLaren speak. Um, you know, it, they're actually starting to have the, the personalities that we desire from them and they're coming out and you've seen it in the media world. You're so right. I mean, uh, I would say, although I'm not at the races so often now, but when I do go, I am immediately aware when you walk into the paddock, and Bob will relate to this, that it's a happier place. Whereas before, we had a guy called Pasquale who was in charge of passes, and he was a real <laughs> horror show. Uh, now everybody's smiling and happy because uh, Liberty Media Stroke Formula One want the thing to work. 
They want everybody to do their bit. And, and the Netflix series, for example, Bernie would never have allowed that in a million years. It's fantastic. It's going right behind the scenes. I mean, one episode, for example, on Nico Hulkenberg. You think, what? But that was a great story. It was a human story about the, the, the Renault story. So, you know, that's key to it all. And, and, and everybody's got this sort of spring on their step. And then we've got the young guys coming through who are I mean, quite cheeky in, in, in a very nice way. And it, it really does work. So, yeah, they're encouraged. You're right, David. They're encouraged to get on with it, get out there and speak. Lando Norris, of course, learned what, pretty much everything he knows when he was driving down here. But I won't mention that. He was in the Toyota Racing Series. I've got to mention that. <laughs> Well said. <laughs> I, I think the neat thing, though, is that it, it, the flow on from that is that you then have your heroes and villains, as we've always had them, but they become proper people, which sells T-shirts, which draws attention to the sport. It, it, it works, and that's not putting Bernie down, because if we hadn't had Bernie, then the sport wouldn't be where it is even to start with. But we're just seeing Formula One take a, a little bit more control of its own destiny, and they're doing a damn good job of it. They really are. I agree. I mean, I have to confess, David, that I mean, the fact that I'm sitting here talking to you about Formula One and uh, having had 40 years of doing it is largely thanks to Bernie Eccleston. I mean, I'm the first to say that because he built a platform on which I was able to work. And that was he built Formula One up into something that was desirable from a media point of view. Uh, by getting television into it, and then the newspapers have to follow television, and that got me in, and we got the stories and all the rest of it. So without him, there's no question that it might have evolved in some other way, but I have to say that uh, I'm here today and having had a wonderful time because of what Bernie did. But towards the end, he, he really had lost the plot because he just wasn't interested in moving on. He didn't know anything about social media. He didn't understand it, didn't want to know. Whereas Liberty Media have come in and they're they're embracing it and they're encouraging it and that's great. So I think the time he, Bernie had his time, did an amazing job, uh, and I think I think actually when the poor man goes, there's going to be some stories coming out of the woodwork about some of the stuff he did which we might not <laughs> want to know. <laughs> but also I think there's some good stuff that's going to come out as well that we don't know about. So you know a bit of both. But yeah, he had his time, time to move on, and this is the new era, and it's bloody good actually. Racing World Podcast are joined by Morris Hamilton as we look back at a couple of weekends of Formula One action. I'll just take you back to the initial conversation, Morris, if you don't mind, around uh, the woe betide Mercedes team and what's happening with them. What did you see in the space of that one week regards improvement to what they had to deal with or indeed steps backwards and what has to happen in the next week? What, what do they need to focus on? Because I suppose when you look at such a short amount of time between races, they've got to be extremely precise about what they do and how they adjust. And we know it's a, a deal of thousands of seconds. So just talk to us about what you think they achieved, what you saw, where they went backwards, and what happens next. So you talking about Mercedes? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think what we saw uh, this weekend at Silverstone was that although Mercedes give the impression that they've got it made, that the car is the best out there, it's the fastest car, easy. They've got the best driver, Lewis Hamilton, and off they go. What you tend to forget is that they're actually on the edge all the time. To get there, they've taken everything to the absolute maximum. It's easy to forget that. It, it, it almost looks like it's uh, you get in, start the car, and off you go. But they have thought through everything to the nth degree, and that car is on the limit all the time. And it takes very little to upset the balance. 
And we saw, as I said earlier, the two things that did that, which was the, the higher temperatures, the different, the softer tires, the higher pressure, just little things, little things, because we're talking tenths of a second. We just knock them off. So the, where they go from there, the danger now, this is, I mean, if I was Red Bull and the opposition, I'd be rubbing my hands because when a team is out there winning, what they're doing is they're polishing a very fine act and they're not really making big changes. But when things start to go wrong, you wonder, how do I fix this? And you start to try things and they might not work. And that's your chance to get in. That's the great thing. So right now, uh, they'll be burning the midnight oil. The, the, uh, Anthony Davison will probably be living in the simulator, having his tea and breakfast in there because they'll be just working at every single detail to try and find out what it is they can do to run on a similar circuit in Barcelona, a high, high energy circuit in high temperatures. Are they going to have the same problem? The one redeeming factor they will have next weekend is that the tires are actually going back up the scale, back to the way they were at Silverstone the first time. They're a little bit harder again. So that might help them. But it's by no means a given, you know. Um, it's a very tricky one. That, and, But then it's a measure of a good team, how they recover. And this is where Mercedes are good. They will be able to recover, probably. Morris, the, the other thing that is coming out of the weekend quite heavily racing point we're really have been really competitive all year and I, I don't care about whether it's a copy whether it's whatever it's another competitive car but formula one is sending itself straight down the biggest rabbit hole they've had for a long time with all this rubbish going on about copying or not copying and and the the appeal to the appeal to the decision about whether their brake ducts are right, wrong, or invented by Racing Point or copied from race, uh, Mercedes or given to them by Mercedes. I mean, the whole thing is just getting to be a total can of worms in a rabbit hole. It's, um, there's no easy way out of this, is there? No, uh, there's not, Bob. Uh, I'm afraid it's something that has to be gone through because it, it's a matter of clarification. And its clarification is necessary because the regulations, the sporting regulations in this instance, are grey. And that's what allowed Racing Point to see the loophole and fair play to them, they did. And they've done nothing illegal as far as most people are concerned. Uh, but there is that grey area and it needs to be tied down. It's rather like the double diffusers in 2009, you know. There's a little loophole everybody. And if you haven't got it, you're going to bitch and complain. It's the nature of the beast. That's what happens. There, there, there are protests. They have to be gone through to get this matter sorted out. I don't think it's been helped by, by Lawrence Stroll uh, saying, coming out with big statements about saying, you know, um, they're saying we cheated. Well, they're not actually saying that. They're, they're questioning what you've done. They're not actually saying you cheated. But he's taken it very personally and come out with these statements. And that's not helping. He's rather like, a child stamping his feet because he can't get his own way. I haven't been impressed by him on that at all. But I do take your point about that the, the arguing is not good. But then again, um, you know, you, the, big, the big gauge, you probably have the same thing. The, the way you gauge how people feel about it is you go down the pub, uh, which we can do here, sort of, and it's what the guys in the pub are talking about. They're not interested in that. They're, not, they're talking about Max Verstappen and his granny, like you said earlier. They're not interested in the fine detail. They go, well, what's all that about? And you start to explain, and you see them glaze over. You know, It'll be resolved, Bob. And uh, we, we, We've been here before, haven't we? Uh, it'll be resolved. It's a mess, yeah, but don't worry about it. 
Okay, I'm not going to worry about it then. I'm going to, I'm hopefully going to enjoy um, Hulkenberg in there again as much as sorry as I feel for um, Perez, who may or may not be in there in in a week's time. I don't know because the French apparently no the sorry the Spanish have got a 14 day uh, stand down once you're tested positive. So I don't know how that's going to work out for him, but certainly for Nico Hulkenberg. Um, when he came down here in racing in New Zealand for in the A1GP, he was a great driver then. He's been fantastic ever since, and it's just a shame he's not there now driving regularly. But what a performance he had. I mean, it was superb. Indeed. I mean, uh, the first time I ever saw Nico Hulkenberg was A1GP meeting when he won at Brands Hatch, I think it was. And, uh, and I went to the press conference and I was mightily impressed by him. And I don't know what age he was a teenager at that, at that point. But at the, on Sunday, terrific performance. I mean, the guy, you know, he's been dropped in the deep end. No question about it. And you know how it is in Formula One. You, you're given the seat. There's no excuses, brute. This is, a, this is a good car. It's going to win races. Get in there and drive it. We don't care that you've, uh, you haven't raced for a while. People don't care. You, they want you to do the job. And he did. He did a phenomenal job. It's just a shame he had that vibration, had to make that last pit stop. But, I mean, he, he showed Lance Stroll up. Uh, in a way, you would expect it Stroll to be closer, if if not alongside. But I think Hulkenberg really put his name in the frame for a drive next year with, I don't know, probably somebody towards the back, but it should get him back in. It, it, he's, he's, how he's never scored a podium, I don't know. It's one of those things, a bit like you talked about Chris Eamon. It's a sort of on that scale, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Morris, before we have to go, I, I have to ask the question because it's kind of like a bit of a hero of mine. Your new book on Nicky Lauda, just what was he like as a person when, when you were writing that book and, and the stories that came out within the book as well? Nicky Lauda was an extraordinary human being. Uh, nobody else like him. And I'm not just talking about a three-time world champion and all that comes with that and a guy that won uh, 25, 24 Grand Prix. None of that. It's just what he brought with him, the way he did it, the integrity he had, um, the, the wonderful sense of humor, uh, this dry sense of humor. Um, and I talked to uh, over 30 people about him for the book, and I know it was since he passed away and people don't like to speak ill of the dead, but generally you get a feel if somebody's not quite right. There was not a single bad word said about him. Everybody loved him and they miss him terribly. He was just an extraordinary individual because not just as I say, the driver, but look what he did with Lauda there and that crash in Thailand. That was the most amazing. I didn't know he'd gone through all that. Uh, luckily I had a long chat with him in 2011 about it and he explained it to me and I was gobsmacked gobsmacked at what he'd done and it was for him it was matter of fact and I think the bottom line is he was a three-time world champion in my book he was a hero but he didn't see it that way and I think that's what made him yeah no phenomenal I, I was just amazed by some of the remarks that were made by the Mercedes team you know when when Nicky did pass away and, and the fact that there was these layers of him that we hadn't always seen and it, it's just a, a, a testament to the man himself he was certainly, Morris, you know, he, he drove with us, McLaren, or we drove with him. I can't remember which way around it should be, but yeah, <laughs> um, a superb guy all the way through. I mean, didn't matter which team he was with, he was exactly the same, exactly the same the whole time. Yeah. Exactly. There was no difference in yeah. him at all. Um, no, it, ne it never changed one bit from start to finish, exactly the same. And would say 
exactly what he thought. That was a wonderful. From a journalist's point of view, he was mega because if you needed something, if, you, if there was an issue in the past, like this, for example, we've been talking about this breakup thing and you're hearing all these stories, you go to Nikki and you say, Nikki, what do you think? Very simple. And you go bang, bang, bang. And you go, oh yeah, you're right. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. And it would be <laughs> so straightforward. It would just cut through all the crap. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, the book is fantastic. You've, you've written um, you've written more books than anybody could possibly read in a lifetime, but uh, the, the latest one, the, the biography, Nikki Lauda, is just a superb book, Morris. Well done. Thank you, Bob. Thank you very much. And on that note, we'd like thank to thank you, you all very much for uh, staying up to the wee small hours to join us here on the Racing World podcast. Looking forward to chatting you again with you again sooner rather than later, Morris Hamilton. Thank you very much for your time, your expertise, and your passion. It's my pleasure, guys. Nice to see you. Thank you, Morris. This is the Racing World podcast, and uh, from Morris Hamilton on Formula One, we might as well trickle down the grades, down the levels, down the categories. Formula Two and Formula Three over the weekend. I've got to say, I enjoyed Formula Three yeah. very, very much over the weekend. Plainly, we had a Kiwi doing particularly well, but I thought the racing was immense, especially the second race with the uh, jousting between one and two toward the end. That was a I, phenomenal I, last lap. What can I say? I agree, yeah. totally. Liam Lawson was driving like a champ. Let's go to Formula 2 first of all because it was not a good weekend for Marcus not. Armstrong. In fact, it was not a good two weekends for Marcus Armstrong. He just didn't get together with uh, with Silverstone at all. So we'll kind of we'll gloss over that. But at the moment, <laughs> Marcus is uh, is now 11th in the championship on 34 points. Callum Eilat's 106 leading it. But Marcus's uh, teammate Christian Lungard 87 second in the championship. So you know, Marcus got a bit to, to do. We come to Formula 3. It was a pretty good weekend for Liam Lawson, I think, in race one, this, the uh, feature race. He was third after after set, starting on the front row. Race two, he um, had a wonderful battle again. He was fifth. Now in the championship, he sits fourth on 77 points, which is, uh, which is not bad at all. Sergeant, the US driver. It's good to see a, a, an American driver getting there on, you know, on competitive terms, not just sort of being there or whatever. That guy drives really well. We, we can asterisk though points. that with Liam Lawson because he should have had an extra place but kind of shot off the track. Didn't yeah, well, it, he so. was a little bit edged off the track, shall we say, but that's, that's Formula King, 3. But the aggression that the yeah. guy shows and the lines that he takes, even the opening of that second race and where he chose to sit his car up around the first corner yeah. was yeah. something else. Well, he, he shows that huge all the race yeah. His races are aggressive. Yeah, yeah. And he's had two good weekends there, yeah. hasn't he? He really has. So, um, Liam, yeah, keep it going, mate. Catalonia next weekend for them as well. Uh, Super GT was in um, in Japan, Nick Cassidy. They were carrying 42 kilos of ballast in that <laughs> in that. It's fascinating that, that category, the way they roll it. Liters, that's like having half of me in there. Um, <laughs> yeah, half of me. <laughs> what? Yeah, so, yeah. What? What? I weigh ninety. Yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, more or less half of me. Um, so yeah. Anyway, he came fourth in that championship, but they, they so they're second overall now. But Nick Cassidy is um, he's got a lot on his plate at the moment, isn't he? He's going to be going Formula E next year and all sorts of things. Um, very quickly, MotoGP, shall I do just a quick word on MotoGP now? Give us a quick word on MotoGP yeah. before, before our break. Absolutely yeah. wonderful weekend. It was the first win for um, uh, Brad Binder and it was also the first weekend a win in MotoGP for um, um, KTM. Uh, just superb. Once again, uh, Valentino Rossi comes back. He was fifth and now he's, uh, where is he in the championship? He's seventh in the championship. But Rossi, who was going to retire, is still hanging in there. But it was at Bruneau in Czech Republic and it was just uh, fantastic. 
And um, I'll, I'll leave it at that, apart from mentioning I watched uh, Superbikes as well at Portimao <laughs> Circuit. And Portimao Circuit, when Formula One gets there, watch out. It's going to be fantastic racing. And rumour has it that he was out on the street watching geckos race up and down as well in his spare time. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Racing World Podcast. <laughs> Coming up next, it's Tin Can Turner. Uh, we'll send David out with his bit of string in his uh, old Waddy's tomato sauce can <laughs> and we'll see what we can get when it comes to uh, IndyCar. We've got a couple of great interviews for you coming up shortly here on Racing World. Perspective Group is a leading media production company based in Auckland, New Zealand. Established in 2009 by former TVNZ producer David Turner, Perspective Group offers you a vast arrangement of media options to fit any size or budget. It covers truly global services, supported by some of New Zealand's leading media talents. For more information, contact Perspective Group Limited at perspectivegroupltd at gmail.com and check out the website perspectivegroupltd.com where you'll find even more information on creating your media solutions. You have a dream. You have all the drive in the world. You have talent to burn. Now all you need is a chance. Toyota are committed to developing and nurturing New Zealand's next generation of world-class racing drivers. Because if you can dream it, we can do it. Welcome back to Racing World. Uh, David Turner was sent out, as he does every... We don't send him out. He does it of his own volition. Quite Can't voluntarily, actually. Yeah, he loves <laughs> every second of it. Uh, we're going to hear from uh, Z Harkis shortly, but first up, a wee chat with uh, Connor Daly, DT. Yeah, I caught up with Connor. I had the chance to talk to him, and obviously, you know, Ed Carpenter racing for the Indy 500, but I got Connor to answer a question that we've all been asking, and that's about fans and what the reflection of, you know, Indy will be like this. So this is what he had to say. Well, Connor Daly from Ed Carpenter Racing, thanks so much for joining us on Racing World. Very, very different Indy 500 for you this year without the fans. Well, when you think about it, we spend like a lot of days at the track, uh, you know, when there's no one there because we're out there working, we're doing whatever, you know, we're even practicing. You know, there's a few people there, obviously. Um, there's only really one day a year when we have that, uh, you know, the massive crowd. So uh, we so look forward to that. And that is, uh, you know, part of the reason why I love the Indy 500 is, is the, the crowd, the, the people, the sheer magnitude of, of the event. So, yeah, I mean, it is very sad and, 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 it's, and it sucks, but it's a, it's a terrible situation, you know, all across the board, no matter what. But we're going to do the best with, with the situation that we've got. You know, we've got some, you know, these teams are still working, you know, hours on end to prepare these cars for the Indianapolis 500, which is our biggest event. It's the biggest event for us at the greatest racetrack in the world, I think. And, um, you know, we're going to give it our best shot. We've got a great, you know, partner with an NBC to give us a, you know, great TV broadcast. So we just got to make sure that every single person in the entire universe watches the race. And that would be awesome. Connor, just staying with that theme, do you think it's going to feel a lot different for you guys on, on race day this year without that, that massive number of people around? funny because like at texas this year there was no fans obviously and uh was it weird yeah but i mean realistically when you're lining up against all your fellow uh compadres out there it's like all right well i still got to beat all those guys and uh and and no matter what you want to you know you you want to be the best on that day no matter if there's a million people there or no people there so uh racing 
is so competitive. You could be at the rental go-kart track and you still want to beat everyone. And it's, and it's the same thing. I mean, it's obviously much larger at the announcement speedway, but you know, we're going to get out there and we're going to want to beat each other because they still, as far as I know, do give you a glass of milk and a trophy and your face gets on that, uh, you know, as it goes down in history for forever. So that's what we're going for. It doesn't matter that there's not 350,000 people there. It's the 32 other guys you want to beat. That's what it boils down to, isn't it? I want to kiss the bricks and drink the milk. I think he summed it up. Races are races, aren't they? Yeah. Races are races. At the the risk of ridicule by you, and possibly you, (laughs) uh, Derek Daly's quite a good friend of mine. used to race with him years and years and years ago in Formula 1 when he was uh, in um, with Tyrrell, etc. And, uh, yeah, um, he doesn't speak like Connor at all. He's still very Irish, is Derek. Lovely guy. So the tin can uh, tribulations continue, this time from Andretti Autosport with Ziggy Harkis. Yeah, I got the chance to talk to Ziggy, and, you know, he's a well-respected man. He's been around the game for a very, very long time. Team manager at, at Andretti's uh, just a, a, an incredible guy and uh, very privileged every time I get to talk to him. So, Ziggy, I know you guys are going to be watching in the garage at Indy, so we're going to put the Andretti Autosport cap fair square in the middle of the table for you. And uh, this is what Ziggy had to say. Well, joining me now with my famous tin can and piece of string is another great Kiwi that we've uh, always wanted to have on the show. And as we've said, it's all about supporting local. And it doesn't really matter where the local is. It can be on the other side of the world. And that is Paul Ziggy Harkis from Andretti Autosport. Great to have you as part of Racing World. And uh, you're now only a few days away from that first practice for the 104th running of the Indy 500. Yep, Dave, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it's uh, definitely strange times and strange days. And um, I don't know how I'll feel once I get to the track, but I'm definitely looking forward to get back there again. It's always a great race. Um, TV is going to make it, as always, it's just no fans. It's just a whole different world for all of us. Is, is the COVID situation made the preparation to this race harder than it would normally be? I, I know it's always such a big race, but you know, is, is there any variable that's come into play as a result of COVID? Um, actually, to be honest with you, uh, because everything's been so fluid and so messed up, we sort of had to jump ahead and we had cars when we were thinking Meadow Ohio was going to happen right before Indianapolis, we built our Speedway cars and we were taking um, three of them with us and leaving three of them at home. But we figured that was the only way we were going to be properly ready to when we come back, we had, we're going to arrive home at about 11 o'clock on Sunday night from Meadow Ohio. And then we had to be down the track the next day and then running on Tuesday. So uh, we had to sort of think forward and make sure that we were ready. And by doing that, we sort of, got ahead with the cars and then when they uh, moved mid-Ohio it sort of gave us even more time so I think our cars are as good as they have been ever so they look really nice the guys done a great job now we just need to go race. Well the mystique of the 500 lives on regardless of the fact that it's now happening in August rather than May and uh, at least a few hundred thousand people that are going to be you know in the grandstands but the TV audience globally will be you know equal to what it's always been if not not greater so it doesn't take anything away from the fact that you know come you know 200 laps in a couple of weeks time someone will be the winner of the 104th running of the Indy 500 won't they yep correct and uh we've got six cars well six six and a half really when you count Jack Harvey so with our engineering onto that one so we've got a whole lot into the field but you know as we all know it's uh you've got to have everything um do it all well you've got to make sure that you're prepared and that you run the race properly and then at the end of it you see where you are but uh, a little bit of luck also helps so i think you know we've got a good shot but we just who knows looking at, at the championship as well ziggy you know like double points at indy and then with maybe some unknowns 
post Indy as to whether or not you get to mid-Ohio or not. The double points can really impact the way this championship's going to play out. Like, you know, I know it's an opposition team and, and Dixie's got the championship lead at the moment, but that could all be washed away with a DNF at Indy, couldn't it? Uh, that's correct. And we saw how strong the uh, Chevrolets were at uh, last year. Um, Honda did a much better job, I thought, on the uh, on the fuel. So, uh, you know, Rossi had a good shot at winning. We just got caught out by yellow. It helped the Penske's out. So um, I think that, you know, double points, it will easy, could easily change where uh, the championship is. And, you know, a bad race by Dixon, a good race by Chevy. And those, once again, it's real tight. So who knows? You know, I'm hoping that we have uh, our cars up there. Rossi and all the boys are doing a great job. We just haven't really put our act together like we should have this year, to be honest. And then looking at the championship still as well, it's a question that we've been asked a few times here and I haven't been able to get the answer and you'll probably know it. Um, is there a number of races that have to be held by IndyCar to declare it a championship? Um, I think from day one, once this whole deal started, and I, I'll give credit to IndyCar, they've, they've had a sort of a plan and they've, you know, that plan changes every week and it changes for us uh, but I think that they've always said that 14 races is the number we want. And uh, so it's important that Mid-Ohio with its double races go ahead. Uh, they feel confident that it, that will happen. So I think the 14 is the number. And I think if we can get to there, um, that's a proper championship. Um, just one thing, looking back at the Indy 500, um, Ziggy, it's going to be a lot hotter in you know a couple of weeks' time than what it normally is in May. Does that change a lot of things as to how not so much... Uh, well, team strategy as well and, and team fitness, but equally how the car runs and that's that type of temperature. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's uh, it's this week's actually looking quite nice, to be honest with you, which is unusual, like 84 degrees. Uh, I don't know what that is in Celsius. I've been away from New Zealand for too long. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's, uh, it's, it, it's sort of quite nice this week. I'm not sure how it'll become race day, but, you know, we all saw that, uh, like in Texas, when it was extremely hot, we had guys going down before the race I was out, I had two guys in medical getting IVs for fluids, and one of them was my outside front tire changing, and one of them was a fueler. So um, it does put stress on both the car, mechanics, and the whole crew. So it is very important that we, you know, we're ahead of the game and make sure that we are prepared for anything. And then for people who don't know that are listening to the podcast, your role at Andretti's is you are the, the team manager for Andretti Autosport, but then you also do strategy within the race, don't you? Yeah, I'm not doing as much strategy as to do anymore because uh, one of us is getting a little old in the tooth here, so they brought a younger guy in, they're <laughs> training him, so he's doing a great job with it as well. So Josh Freund, he's the other team manager. And um, so, yeah, so when uh, young Zach Beach came in, they moved him there, and I'm still on Ryan Hunter race car for the race along with uh, Ray Gosling, who's the engineer. So we work together on that and make sure that we've... Uh, and he does a great job too. So, um, yep, it's it's really good and good teams. I like work with Ryan. He's a good guy, you know. We've got some shoes with Rossi and, I mean, hell, as you look at our team and we've got, got some good people there. So we just now don't need to get one of them up the front for the end. Well, we won't hold you up any longer. It's uh, important that you get your, your rest and we appreciate the time that you've, you've given us on Racing World. We wish you all the very best for the 104th running of the, the great race uh, for the first time in 20 years for me I'll be having to try and watch it on the television in New Zealand which won't be quite the same as seeing your cheerful face in pit lane that's for sure yeah we'll always miss you Dave and if uh, if this Kiwi can't win it for the New Zealanders we'll give it to Dixon so <laughs> <laughs> well thanks very much that's Paul Ziggy Harkis at Andretti Autosport and great to have him on, and uh, you've got to love that accent don't you that's a fantastic New Zealand American hybrid always makes me smile 
Well, as we've said, it's all about racing local, and he's still a local local boy in our hearts. So, Ziggy, that Andretti cap is standing there for you. I know you said that you guys are going to watch it in pit lane. I'm just going to have to top it, though, and say <laughs> maybe Dixie will be there for you too. I hope you still return my emails when you get to see this show. Maybe the last time we have Ziggy Harkis on the program. <laughs> really sorry about that, but thanks for your time anyway. Hey, uh, worth a mention to uh, talkmotorsport.co.nz as well, uh, another platform that you can hear the Racing World podcast on. So we thank that crew very much for uh, getting involved in uh, what we're doing here out on uh, Bob's farm every uh, every Tuesday. Yeah, big thanks to Benjamin and his team down in Christchurch, and uh, and thanks for the support. And uh, the show's just hopefully doing what people want it to do. And on the subject of Christchurch, I better uh, get one in. I'm a, I'm a Cantab, born and bred. That that I I've had replaced. Uh, for internationals watching this, there's a thing about people from Canterbury. They're called one-eyed Cantabrians because they only see the world out of one eye. We're, we're like that. Uh, a mention of uh, Matt Summerfield, the Cantab. Uh, drove really well to win the 20th edition of the Catlins Coast Rally and his Mitsubishi Mirage, the AP4, on Saturday as well. Four of the six special stages took the lead after the third, uh, built a big gap uh, before um, Andrew Graves won the final stage, cut the margin back to 38, but uh, well done. Matt Summerfield, was his sister calling yeah. the shots? No, no, she was not in the car She this wasn't weekend, in the car. but his sister is normally in the car with him. He had uh, a friend of his in the car who's one of the sponsors as well that he's rallied with before, but his sister also, he and his sister went through the Elite Academy, so they're both uh, graduates of that, and um, yeah, he's they're, they're bloody good. To I feel them. I need to go through the Elite Academy. I feel like <laughs> I'm missing out on something. You have, mate. <laughs> You've missed out. Nicole's a great... A great co-driver, actually, and, and you know, testament to the brother-sister relationship as well. So it's, it's good to see. Mm, All right, what's happening next week? What are we looking forward to? Um, just a brief, I'm not going to really mention it, but um, congratulations, Dick Bennett's as well. West Surrey Racing on the, in the uh, British Touring Car Championship. They lead everything, won a couple of races at the weekend. They're doing really well. And Dick Bennett's, as you know, he's from, he's from Dunedin and... Uh, um, he's a, well, he comes back to New Zealand every year. He's a great guy, Dick Bennett, so worked with him years ago. Um, next weekend, we've got a shed load of stuff going on in New Zealand, but we've also got Formula One, two and three in Porsche at Catalonia, probably, <laughs> unless there's a, a closed borders <laughs> thing. Supercars <laughs> might eventually get going at um, the, two, the first of a double header at Hidden Valley, postponed from last week. Three races, 38 laps. Uh, DTM at Lausitz Ring is going. Formula E and I-Pace, they're racing again. They've been racing there for the best part of seven months, I think, at the moment. Um, we had, um, unfortunately, Mitch is out of the championship race now. Uh, but Simon in the I-Pace Jaguar had a couple of wins, and he's there. So they're racing this week coming and next weekend. NASCAR at Daytona Road Course. Earl Bama in the Xfinity uh, class. I mean, you know, Earl, just take it away, mate. Show... Those bloody good old boys just how to handle one of those things when it turns right and left. Wonderful. MotoGP at Red Bull Ring. Uh, we've also got the TM Winter Series Round 3 at Taupo Motorsport Park. That's uh, on the 15th. On the 16th, August Race Meeting, Timaru International Raceway by South Canterbury Car Club. The MCC Autocross 20, um, 2020, August 16. Um, Nelson Marlboro, Marlboro Car Club. Moka 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 I can't even say I'm trying, I'm trying to read too fast It's been a long podcast Moka Moka Road Gravel Sprint uh, Hawke's Bay Hawke's Bay Car Club Rural Transport Motocana At uh, Mid Canterbury Ashburton Car Club SSCC That's the Southland Sports Car Club Autocross Round 1 on the 16th And the SSCC Motocana Same day Teratonga Southland Sports Club So um, 
There you go. It's a busy old weekend next weekend domestically and internationally. And qualifying for the Indy 500. And, of course, qualifying for the Indy 500, which uh, comes around every year, any time between um, January and August, (laughs) September. (laughs) And if you out there are listening, if you're watching and you'd like to ask any questions uh, of the panel, I'll call them that, by all means, please do. It's the best way to go about that, David. Yeah, you can just go to the Race Control Magazine Facebook page. That gets us directly in. And now also the, uh, the comments that we're seeing off YouTube, and there was a few people that commented last week, and... Thank you very much for doing that and uh, hopefully we can continue to make the show work for everyone that's watching or listening. On behalf of Bob, you, Thank you. You, you just took a great big intake of breath and thought, what's coming now? <laughs> no, I was just going <laughs> to say thank you very much. Toyota 86 is uh, doing really well on entries for next year, incidentally. That little thing came out today as well. So, okay. That's Bob McMurray, it's David Turner, I'm Darcy Watergrave. Thanks very much for listening to Racing World. You have a dream. You have all the drive in the world. You have talent to burn. Now all you need is a chance. Toyota are committed to developing and nurturing New Zealand's next generation of world-class racing drivers. Because if you can dream it, we can do it. Race Control Magazine is your IndyCar fan mag and so much more. Publishing monthly online on issuu.com, you'll find Race Control Magazine there for you to download and enjoy everything IndyCar and so much more. Behind the scenes features, race reports and the entire Road to Indy series are just part of what you'll find along with stunning images captured from the series leading photographers. Grab your copy today at iwsw.com to complete your motorsport read. Racing World is presented by Race Control Magazine.